Today I want to talk to you as sort of an extension of last week. Last week we discussed virtue of uh, gratitude and, and this idea that we should be thankful. And, uh, you know, it's kind of obvious, right? We, we, we're coming up in November to uh, Thanksgiving Day. And so we, we know that thanks, thanks, thankfulness is a virtue. But what I wanted to do is hook into what I feel is a, is a serious problem or impediment to us being grateful, and that is we are a people who are constantly looking uh, for what's around the bent. Are, are you like that? Because I'm like that sometimes. We're a people that, you know, for us, we always think that there's something out there. There's something um, that's greater, more important than what's in front of us, and it appears to matter more than what's happening in the moment right now. You know, I mean, in this mindset that we fall into, it's the around the corner that's going to make the difference. But also, you know, uh, so, so for some, it's this idea of the shoe dropping, that everything's fine now, but, you know, chaos is going to happen. It's going to come and my life is going to go haywire. I just know it. It's just around the corner. God can't be blessing me now. This can't last long. And so we're always looking in the future, an event, maybe a moment, sort of like a change in life uh, to, to bring meaning and fulfillment into our lives. We're always looking out into, you know, to the horizon. We're, we're great future seekers. And, you know, I remember like in, in Bible college, as I was beginning to think about ministry, I thought, you know, once I graduate, then life is going to be so much better. Then I can have a, re my life is going to start. I can have a real life. Then once, once I got into ministry, you know, I realized that, uh, hey, uh, maybe, you know, I'm got, it's going to be marriage. Maybe that's going to change me. And, and you know, and, and, and every moment in my life, you know, uh, even to when I came here and Sarah and I joined five years ago uh, here on the Palouse campus. And, and for us, it was like, you know, we're, we're having a great time, but we're doing everything. It would be certainly really nice once we have staff, you know, people that come and serve alongside of us. And then volunteers started showing up and the work was shared and the burden got a little bit lighter. We didn't have to print programs every week. We didn't have to mop the floor. Like there were people, people helping us. And so we, were, we felt like we were in that season. But now we want the church to grow. And then the church started growing. And we started thinking, you know, maybe we could get out of the smaller building and into a bigger building someday. And it's always this someday thing. So very much like I am a believer in vision and looking to have vision to see God, you know, grow us both spiritually and numerically. But at the same time, I realized that there's a trap there that we're always looking for what's around the corner. Are you like that sometimes? Are you, are you tracking with me? But when I finally get to that point, there's always something else. It's the then problem, right? Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know, when I finally meet that person that I'm going to marry, when I finally locate him or her, then life is going to really start. It's going to be great. You know, it might be great, and it might not be great some days. But then once that happens, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through it, and I'm gonna, we're going to have kids. And then once we have kids, oh, my goodness, then it's going to be great. Kids change everything. It's going to be great once we have kids. And then the kids come, and there's diapers and messiness and snotty noses, and you're like, you know, once they get out of diapers, then it's just going to be great. Kids are going to be great. You know, once they um, are able to ride a bike, then it's going to be great. Then once they get into college, it's going to be great. 
And then once they graduate from college, then I can get on to the next thing and I can and then you know, finally be an empty nester and think about retirement. And then, you know, it's something, and, and always there's this like this next thing that we do in this next season of our lives. And it's the then problem, then, then, then. It's going to be great some, at some point in the future when I get out of college, when I graduate, when I get married. Whatever season we are in, what we do is we wish the current season away with our when and then attitude, and then um, we're just sitting back waiting for the next season to come. We all do it, basically. It's just this idea of one day around the corner. That achievement, that accomplishment, that friendship, that fulfillment, that possession. Maybe it's a vacation. You know, if we just go out to, if we could just get to Hawaii, I know I'd be happy. And we think that that's going to fill the emptiness on the inside. This is a very difficult thing to hear. But happiness does not come from those things that are around the corner. The reality is around the corner, you don't know. You don't know who's going to be in your life. You don't know who's going to be out of your life. In five years from now, maybe some people in this room, God forbid, won't be here on planet Earth. You never know. You just don't know. But there is another vision. There is another perceived prize. But I've lived long enough in my five decades on planet Earth to know this, that, that I've often pursued what I want, I want, my dreams, my passions, my goals, but there's something even better when we recognize it that we have right now. There's something even better. Culture definitely feeds into this mindset. And, you know, every commercial or advertisement is telling us kind of um, to gratify ourselves, just please ourselves. And things like, you know, just indulge yourself. You just need to buy this Dove bar and you just indulge in it. Um, you'll be happy. Treat yourself. You need to feel good. You need to take care of yourself. You need to indulge yourself. And what does Jesus say? In, in what way are we going to see Jesus as a massive contrast to the cultural push for us to indulge ourselves, to satisfy ourselves? Let's read it. And this is sort of a cornerstone verse for our talk today. That's Matthew 16, starting in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come with me, he must do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's not indulge himself. It's not treat himself. It's deny himself. When you hear take up his cross, it's basically meaning what the Bible says is that you need to die to your flesh to live by the Spirit. He's saying you need to take up the cross. You need to die to yourself that you might live by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, the big catch-all right there, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. What's in that phrase, whatever you do? Everything. <laughs> it's your laundry. It's going to get a, a burger at the, at the a fast food joint. It's, it's, it's cleaning up after yourself. It's going to class. It's walking with a friend. It's, it's commuting to your work. It's everything. The Bible says whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Now, if I'm honest, this is a very difficult scripture to live up to, right? Because usually whatever I do in the margins of life, I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for myself. Whatever I do that makes me happy, that makes me feel good, that makes me fulfill my dreams is usually what we're all about doing 
in the ordinary day-to-day grind of our lives. And so we're not grateful because our minds aren't glorifying God, or our hearts aren't glorifying God. We are just doing life. And so here's the question, and I hope to get to a point where I'll begin to give you some practical steps to be grateful in the grind, but the reality is how do we glorify God in the ordinary moments? You know, in church, it's one thing because we're sort of transcendent. It's a moment where we can think about eternal things. We can be with people that are like-minded. But what happens when you turn, you know, after the service onto Jackson, onto 6th Street, you know, onto 3rd Street, wherever you're going home, then life begins and you start thinking about lunch and plans and all that. You know, how do you glorify God in that moment? Because that's actually what really matters. It's not about just what happens here, but it's what happens as we roll forward out of this place into Moscow, into Pullman, into our communities and our homes and interacting with, with people in ordinary places in ordinary ways. That's the margin in life. And what happens in there needs to glorify God according to the scripture. But whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. I start to evaluate my life and think about, you know, am I doing it all for the glory of God? And I'm going to pose three what-if statements to help us sort of anchor us to this challenge. Three what-if statements to help us understand what it means to be um, receiving this prize that's been talking about. First of all, the prize isn't out there. It's not out there somewhere. The prize isn't what you accomplish occasionally. The prize isn't what you really do daily for the glory of God. What if the work is the reward? What if? What if the work is the reward? What if what you do, what if what you're doing, what if you, what you do every day is the reward? It is the reward. What if the prize is in the process of life, the day-to-day process of life, getting up every day, brushing your teeth? Please, but hopefully you're doing that, by the way. Um, you know, going to, to work, going to church, going to watch a football game, going to play video games with your friends, going to do all those things. What if the prize is in the process of life? The routine of life. What if the prize is there? What if the prize is in the classroom? What if the prize is at your desk taking phone calls? What if the prize is on the track running your hardest? What if you can be grateful in the grind, in the grind, when it's hard, when it's tough, when you're putting out effort, when you're sweating, when you're working hard and your nose to the grindstone? What if you can be grateful in that moment? What does it look like? What if the work is the reward? What if the prize is in the process? What if you can be grateful in the grind? 1 Corinthians 15 has something to say to us. In verse 9, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles. I'm the least unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but by God, but God's grace that was within me, not I. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I'm a persecutor. Paul says, I stood by while Stephen was being stoned. I held their wardrobe. I watched. I approved. Paul said, I hauled women and children into jail for being a part of the way. Paul says, I have done some terrible things. I don't deserve to be an apostle, but you know what God has given me? An insatiable desire to accomplish his will according to his purpose. Paul said, God has given me an ability to work, to strive, to do for God's kingdom. 
And he says, I don't deserve the credit for it. He says, I work harder than any of them. And it's not because of me. It's because of God's grace in me. So what is he saying there? I mean, he's saying I work harder. He's basically saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm not bragging. I'm just stating the truth. Well, others took shortcuts. They, they wanted to circumvent all the hard work. I, I put in the hard work. I got up earlier. I trained harder. I, I, I did the routine. I disciplined myself. I ran the race. I put in the effort. Paul says, it's not because of me. It's because of him. And I give him the glory. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was in prison. He didn't go like in prison, you know, well, one day, you know, when I'm out of prison, then kind of like I can start my ministry up, but in prison, it's kind of hard. Paul says, hey, it's a prison ministry, you know? And then, and then there's like, oh, there's an earthquake? Oh, my goodness. Well, when the earthquake, you know, stops, we got to clean up all the pieces. Things are going to get really confusing. I won't be able to accomplish the mission anymore. No, he definitely did. He sang during the earthquake. He sang while the walls were falling down. All it was incredible, incredible. Now, Paul was shipwrecked, and what did he do? Like, he'd say, okay, well, now we're confused. We're lost. We need to get our compasses out, you know, get Google Maps out and figure out where we're at, you know. No, he didn't do that. He just said, this is just a part of the story. This is a part of God's plan. I'm going to be thankful in the process. I'm going to glorify God in life's grind. I'm going to be thankful, grateful. Maybe the work is the reward. Maybe the prize is the process, and I can be grateful in the middle of the grind. So there's three enemies I want to share with you just from my heart to what I really feel are the greatest inhibitors of getting this reward that we want, the prize that we're searching for, the prize that's not out there somewhere, the prize that isn't just about being at church and being a Christian, showing up to Christian-y things, the prize of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's three enemies to the true reward. Number one is the pillow. Oh no, Pastor Scott, he's after the pillow now. That's my, like my favorite thing is the pillow. Pastor Scott, I would just love to be with my pillow right now. I love him so much. Like I love to be with him. On my, I have my head on him. He is my favorite thing, the pillow. Well, actually, I'm not here to actually attack your pillow, but to use that as a metaphor for comfort, as a metaphor for ease, for having it the easy way. The pillow is the seduction of comfort. The lie is, is that what you need is something that's better out there. That once I get a better something, fill in the blank, then I will be happy. Once I have enough money to live an easy life, I want to live the easy life. I, I remember uh, Sarah and I, we started life, you know, kind of normally as a couple. And then we, we ended up getting this house. It was more, more space than we could possibly need. We filled it with really nice things. And then one day we decided we were going to take a trip to Alaska and hit the road system in a little RV, like a 26-foot RV. That's just the three of us. And so we, we hit the road. We had a great time for a whole month. And one thing that just like really got to us is this idea that in like 250 square feet or whatever it was, that we could actually, we were having the time of our lives, you know, with not much space. With none of our stuff, we were like, all of our stuff is back in Washington, and, and it's not making us happy. Like, we're happy just to be here together in this beautiful scenery in a 200 or, you know, 250 square feet, and all of that square footage and stuff that we have, it, 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 it wasn't, it just put it into perspective for us that we don't need that stuff to make us happy anymore. It was a real eye-opener, right? Because, you know, we were sort of taught to believe that if you accumulate stuff, you're going to eventually, you know, you'll turn that corner and things will be really happy. Then you'll be able to go and do things. And, uh, and it's just we, 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 we drop debt and we drop hope and promise and all those kinds of things in the future and what's around the corner. 
And um, so the pillow represents easy. And I want to hear to tell you this. God never called us too easy. Easy never changed the world. Easy never changed the world. It didn't push on anything significant. It takes effort, hard work, perseverance. It takes determination and grit. And you need to find that and seize it. And we're going to talk a little bit in just a moment on how to do it. Yet the pillow cries out. The pillow is really tempting. It's so easy sometimes to sleep in. It's so easy to just say, I'm not going to do the work. I'm not going to put in the effort. It's so easy to give up. And the next thing, the pillow is number one. Number two, the greatest enemy to the true prize of gratitude in the moment is the shiny thing. The shiny thing. I want to talk a little bit about that. That's the allure of distractions. Uh, sometimes, you know, we just sit there, like even in church, maybe some of you, you're getting a notification right now in your pocket, a ding or a buzz or something is happening. I had it happen to me when I came in this morning. It's like, you know, a text message. It'll show up on my phone and I'll have to think about what I'm going to do and what I'm going to say. Now I'm not thinking in the moment. I'm thinking about something in the future. It's the constant allure. It's the shiny thing in our lives. The next thing, the beautiful thing, it's Netflix showing up in your email inbox saying that, you know what? They're 99% certain that if you just watch this upcoming show, if you just binge watch it, they're 99% certain that according to their algorithms, you're going to like it. You're going to have fun. You should definitely watch this Netflix show. And it's the alluring, shiny thing. There's so much of it around us. So much of it that's fun and easy and, and cheap or, or at least you know, cheaper, right? I mean, we want to do these things. And, and all of us have access to ways that we, and access to shiny things that, that drive our attention. And I'll tell you, like, it's, it's for me too. I'll be sitting there in my quiet time at, at the dinner table, and I'm trying to get my mind on God's word, and all of a sudden, what happens on my phone? Boom, boom, Pastor Scott, Pastor Scott, ding, 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 you know, pay attention to this, or an alert, like, did you know there's breaking news? In Uzbekistan, you need to go pay attention to that. I'm like, okay, what's going on in Uzbekistan? You know, and eventually it's just this crazy, it's this drive of what's happening out there, what's happening around the corner, what's happening, you know, and what God is saying is like, I just wanted your heart right there, right now in this moment. God says, I need your time, your attention. I want to center you. I want to quiet you. I want to be with you. That's what God is saying. And my phone is saying, no, no, no. Now, pay attention to me. It's hard to hear. You know, it's one of the reasons, like just as a practical piece of advice, I always tell people, set up your, your place of residence. I don't care whether you live in a mansion or you live in a little, in a dorm room. You need to set up a space that's like intentionally a quiet space. And the rule is, is when you're sitting in that chair in that space, you do not take your laptop, you do not take your iPad or your phone into that space at all, ever. And when you sit in that chair in your life, you are quiet before God. That's your attention on him, fully on him. We have such a space. We have a place in our house where if we go in, we do not bring laptops, no computers, no cell phones. Our dog is not allowed into that room. He's not allowed into it. And why? Because the dog is a distraction. And so we, we tell our dog not to go in. And he's a good boy. So he doesn't go in. He's a good boy. He really is. You have to tell your dog, just in case he's listening on the podcast, Guinness, you're a good boy. It's good to tell your dog that. And it's, but the key is, is that it's, it's a place of, of quietness, of intentionality. And we have to develop that because the allure of the shiny thing is so real in our lives. And I, and I hate to say it, social media is a big one. 
It's the carrot. You will never seem to find real satisfaction. You know, one time it dawned on me as I was looking on Facebook and just watching all of my friends, especially those that are in the marketplace, you know, accumulate things that I will never be able to accumulate. Like, I, I started to look at it and I'm like, I started to feel a little depressed. And I'm like, wait a second, that's not the measuring stick. I've got it all wrong. And so I just decided, you know, every time I feel that, Facebook gets put away, Instagram goes away, Twitter goes away. Twitter's just nasty, by the way. I just like let all that stuff go away because it, it honestly is it's destructive to my soul. And so there's a recognition that the shiny thing keeps us always thinking about something better in the future that we could have or we're not having or something in the past, some reminder, some old relationship, some, something that happened way, way back that you can't and won't ever have to won't be able to change. Doesn't, doesn't define you, but it explains you. You know, I mean, those things are real. The shining thing keeps us from having gratitude in the moment. So there's the pillow. There's the shiny thing. And then there's the towel. The towel represents quitting, throwing it away. The temptation to just give up, to quit. It's a relationship. It's a marriage your finances. It's gotten too complicated. It's gotten too bad. I just want to quit. Maybe for some, it's Christianity. Well, I tried, God. I, I came to church. Nobody was friendly. Nobody talked to me. They didn't seem to appreciate me, so I'm going to quit. I'm not making enough of a difference, so I'm going to give up. I'm going to quit. It's so easy to do that, isn't it? So easy to quit. So easy to give up. You can throw in the towel or the towel also represents this. You can pick up the towel like Paul did and you can wipe the sweat off your brow and you can go back to work for whatever you are called to do. And let me tell you something. Like I have a lot of respect for those of you guys that are working in difficult work situations where you don't really like your employer or there's a difficult um, personality cl clash. I'm not here to tell you that that's not real or valid or anything, but I'm here to tell you that, you know what? It all gets difficult all the time. You know, I, I felt called in my life for two decades to be a software engineer. I love to write code. I get so much joy out of writing code. And yet there were, there was whole years at, 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 while I was doing that where I, I didn't like my, my situation. You know, it wasn't coming together the way I wanted. I didn't like my team that well. So I didn't really like the situation, but I kept persevering and I kept pursuing the goal. And I kept enjoying what God had called me to do. Now I'm a pastor and I'm in the same situation. I'll have times where things are going really well, like they are now, just super well. Everything is clicking. And other times where it feels like I'm treading water a little bit and struggling. And through it all, I just keep my eyes on the calling because it's not supposed to be about when it's great for me. It's about when it's according to the calling of God. And so don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. When you suddenly realize that the work is the reward. It changes everything. When you suddenly realize that the prize is in the process, it changes everything. And that I can be grateful in the middle of the absolute grind of life. It changes everything. You know, I kind of love graduation speeches, but I kind of don't. Because they're sort of like all the same, right? Like fundamentally, it's like follow your passion. Follow your dreams. The problem with following passion, I'm just here to tell you this, is that the truth of the matter is, is that passion don't, doesn't really pay the bills, right? It doesn't pay the bills. And sometimes you've got to do that. 
The, the problem is that what we're talking about sometimes in these graduation speeches is selfless, selfish passion. It's about making me happier. But there's a higher calling, and it's selfless purpose. And I want to talk to you a minute about purpose. Because purpose ties into these ideas of not being comfortable, not being distracted by the shiny thing, and not quitting. And so I want to read to you in its entirety one of my favorite graduation speeches of all time. It's from a guy you may have heard of him, Winston Churchill. And this, this speech was given in 1941 to Harrow Hall, uh, Harrow School, and he, uh, he got up, the prime minister in his later years, got up to the podium, puts on his glasses, opens his notes, and he reads this speech. I'll try to read it in my best Winston Churchill voice. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. Ah, that sounds better. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. And that was it. That's the speech. <laughs> never give in, never give up. And there's a lesson in there for us. And that is <coughs> when you know your purpose and you know what you're called to do and you know who God called you to be, it's not a matter of finding your passion. It's a matter of finding purpose. And when I am the starting point, the point is whatever I can do to make me happy matters. When you start with what is it that you want to do, then your passion becomes the highest value. But when God is the starting point, the question is, what can I do to please God? What can I do to honor God? When you realize you're serving a higher pur purpose, then get this, then passion follows. So passion follows purpose, not the other way around. If you're looking for passion, you have to understand purpose. This works out in relationships, by the way. It works out in many ways in marriage. If you get to a place of business and you don't like it, you begin to work diligently, begin to find your purpose, and then you will find so much passion as your life follows. And I, I suggest this. I say some of us that don't have a sense of purpose, maybe we need to sit down with a journal and start to write out what we value in life, start to look at the blessings that God has given us, the talents that he's accrued to us, and begin to write those out, diagram those out, and say, God, what is my, my calling and my purpose? And then what will happen as we begin to live that out in a practical sense, then the passion follows. It really follows. And so purpose leads to passion. Paul had passions. I mean, he was a tent maker. I don't know if he was passionate about that. I kind of, how do you get passionate about tent making? I don't know. It doesn't sound like something fun. Um, but, uh, but he might have been passionate about music. We don't know, but he liked to sing. So I would say he was probably passionate about music. Maybe he was passionate, you know what he was passionate about was Bible. Like he loved the Bible. He spent his whole life, um, loved, loved to learn about God's word. He was a great student like many of you. But you know what he wasn't passionate about? You know what he wasn't passionate about? Getting beaten up and left for dead. He wasn't passionate about that. He wasn't passionate about shipwrecks. He wasn't passionate about that. He wasn't passionate about being beheaded. He wasn't passionate about any of those things. In all those circumstances, though, Paul said this in Acts 20, verse 24, but I count my life of no value to myself. 
so that I might finish my course and my ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And here's what it is. He says it right here. My purpose is to testify to the gospel of God's grace. God has made me a missionary. God has made me an ambassador uh, to, to the Gentiles. And I am going to live that out no matter what. And then he says in Philippians 4 that no, considering all things, I consider Christ above it all. It's all garbage to me except for Jesus himself. But that I might gain Christ to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that Paul says, but that which is imputed to me through Christ. And he knew what his purpose was and his passion followed. That's purpose. It makes us feel passionate about the mundane, ordinary grind of life. The folding of the clothes can be done to the glory of God because we know what our purpose is. We can call someone on the phone and wish them a happy birthday. We can extend gratitude to someone, have them over for dinner. We can do all of that because of the passion and the purpose that God has put into our lives through Christ Jesus. Again, back to what Paul said, I'm doing it not because I'm a great guy. I'm doing it because he's great and he's given me all of these gifts. Like some find joy in service. I love to serve. Many of you guys are great at that. Like the people that are on the stage that you saw earlier, they were singing and playing their instruments to the glory of God. They're not up here to hear their own voices. Like I don't even know if they can hear their own voices. They're here to worship and to draw you into worship because they love to serve. The people downstairs that are taking little, little ones and, and pouring into their lives the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, like they're doing that week after week after week because they love to serve. There are those who lead growth groups or host growth groups in their home. It's extraordinary because it's a reflection of the purpose that they have in Christ, not just a task. Passion always follows purpose. Do you want to love something more? Serve it harder. Serve it with more purpose, and your passion will follow. 1 Corinthians 9, 26, Paul says again, therefore I do not, like, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly, or box like one who beats the air. Instead, I discipline my body, and I bring it under strict control so that I, after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul says, I am in this to race with purpose. I'm not going to beat the air. I'm not going to run aimlessly. I have a course set before me, and my course is to preach the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ and to go all in for him. He says, like, I, I'm not going to get distracted. Put blinders on me because that's my purpose. And Paul ran the race so well. He's such an, a great example for all of us. And he says, I discipline my body. I get up in the morning. I put in the effort. I conform myself to the image of Christ. I lay down that which distracts me. I determine to obey, to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ because I'm not saved by my works, but my works reflect the inner transformation. I want to become a better follower of Jesus, he says. So bring it under control. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. It's control. Imagine how your life would be different when you wake up, if you woke up every day and asked for a sense of purpose. Like you got up and you sat on the edge of your bed and you said, dear Jesus, help me today to understand my purpose. I want to pursue it today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let me rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Not someday, not tomorrow, not next week, not my birthday, not, 
you know, when I get married, not like when I get that promotion, like today, this is the day that the Lord has made. And God will begin to give you joy in the moment and gratitude in the moment like you've never experienced. Just, just if you could do that for seven days to wake up, not check the phone, not check Twitter, but like get on your, on your knees or just sit there on your bed and say, God, this is your day today. You've made it. I want to be obedient in it and walk with you and love you in it. I'm choosing to find a purpose, running it with purpose in every step. When I walk into the room, any room, the Spirit of God walks with me. When I go into my place of employment, the Spirit of God comes with me because I'm grateful and thankful and He's with me. When I go to the grocery store, the Spirit of God comes with me. God is with me. God is with me every moment, every day. There's nowhere that I go that the Spirit of God doesn't go with me. I'm an ambassador. So this step, as every step, is on purpose, on purpose, on purpose. I go to the grocery store on purpose, on mission, with gratitude in my heart because I have means to be here. I love my life in Christ. It's all a part of the purpose. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the Bible is, you know, we're getting the words of Paul. We're getting the really important stuff, but there's a lot that happened that we don't know, right? There's a lot of tent making that happens. There's a lot of traveling that's occurring. There's a lot of Bible reading. There's a lot of studying. There's a lot of crying and counseling. And, you know, the stuff of life that happens to all of us happened to Paul's life. But everywhere, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, Paul said. Whatever I do, I do it for the one who changed my life. I'm not good enough, but for the grace of God, Paul says, I will run the race. I am what I am. I am who God made me. So I work hard, but it is the grace of God in me. The prize isn't when you get the promotion. The prize isn't when you get the fancy car. It's not when you get discovered. You finally get to Instagram model status. The prize is now. The prize is here. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's not about indulging myself. It's not about treating myself. It's about denying myself so that I can live for the glory of Jesus Christ. We speak boldly when we believe deeply. What do you believe? Do you believe that you are born by your creator with a purpose, that you have been delivered if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that by his shed blood on the cross that he delivered you from, um, from, from eternal separation from him and he, is a, he has adopted you as a son and daughter? The truth of that, if that is what you believe, believe deeply, then out of that comes gratitude. Not as a debtor's ethic, not as like, oh, well, I just owe you something, God, so I'm going to give you you know, my devotion. No, it's I'm devoted to you because I love you, because you showed me what love is, that I'm reflecting back that love because it's just simply love. The Christian life is about loving the Lord your God because he first loved you. And if that's you, you can experience gratitude. What we speak boldly, what we believe is reflected by our gratitude toward God. Heavenly Father, I pray, Jesus, that you would in this moment humble us Humble us in the busyness of our life with all of our busy calendars and the events that we've got stacked up, the things that we need to do. Um, God, we'll, we'll feel it in about an hour or two, just the weight of all of the stuff that's on our plate. But God, help us to realize that that's the whatever we do. We're eating, we're drinking, later for lunch, then we're going to do the whatever we do. <laughs> God, that's the moment right there where we can glorify you. Help us to understand what it is that every step I take whether it's significant and important, 
in my mind, it's significant and important in the story that you're writing for my life. I submit to you and I honor you with my time and my gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.